This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. 60 years ago, an American who made it to age 65 could expect to live an additional maybe 14 years. Well, today, it's 19 years. And the most important question then is how to grow older healthfully so we can actually enjoy those extra years. Well, here with some answers and advice about how to get the most out of your golden years is Christopher Norman. He's a nurse practitioner with Upstate. State University Geriatricians. Welcome, Chris. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks so much for having me, Linda. This is really a topic I enjoy talking about, so I'm looking forward to being here today. Oh, great. Terrific. So I guess the first question that comes to mind is, you know, what do you think about when you think about the components of successful aging? I mean, an over a broad overview. Mm-hmm. The more I practice, the more I found that this is a very individually defined um, thing, actually, successful aging. In the literature, we would define successful aging as a person that is able to maintain their quality of life and maintain their function as long as possible. And in doing so, that person is able to sort of live their best life. And how that looks, again, is a very individually defined um, journey for most people. But there are some general tips that I hope we can cover today. So clearly things like the physical are very, very important and psychological health being mentally sharp. But there are obviously emotional and spiritual components that also add to health overall. So I thought what we'd do is kind of go through some of these elements and have your take on how, you know what your recommendations could be under those circumstances. Sure. Linda, I'd like to throw in too that there's a cultural domain that we talk about within all of these things as we're advocating physical and social and emotional and spiritual health for older people. And as a culture, I think it is very challenging in this healthcare environment actually to um, really perpetuate successful aging and really healthy living into older age in a lot of ways. Because, Why? Well, you turn on the TV and you drive to work and you're looking at the billboards and all of the infomercials that you're seeing are all on anti-aging serums and this is how you can look younger better and all of this stuff. And we really don't focus as a culture on the beauty that there can be in actually growing older in a lot of ways. So I think taking into account that a very ageist culture that we grow up in and often and take for granted. Um, I think that's a big piece of the conversation as well, and just sort of provides a frame for the importance of this kind of topic and conversation. I think that's a crucial point because it strikes me that that is a battle that many of us, and but what I'm hoping, I guess, is as the boomers, which is represents a very large population of sure. people coming into those years, as we've changed many things in our culture. At every point in our development, maybe that will begin to change, too, that's very just much, by our sheer numbers. That's very much what I'm excited for, because I think people are demanding a different standard of health care, and that's why conversations like this are that much more important. So let's get cut to the chase. When we talk about your physical health, obviously a lot of people, as they age, develop multiple kinds of issues in their lives, and they may be on multiple medications, they may have multiple comorbidities, problems that they have. What do you recommend in terms of one basic importance? I mean, how important, for example, is having a good primary care physician? I would say it's very important. Um, be having a good primary care person to sort of walk you through your journey and be able to answer your healthcare questions appropriately. I think having a person that you feel comfortable talking with and is really giving you the time to express the things that are most important for you. Um, there's an interesting talk going on soon about how to match up the doctor's agenda versus the patient's agenda. 
And I think having that person is really crucial. And it also strikes me that with people as they age, they have multiple medications. They have to manage those medications. So you need to kind of have a quarterback. Absolutely. It strikes me in a primary care. And you have all these specialists that you might be sent to. Certainly. It and, needs to be coordinated. And one of the most important pieces there is knowing your medications and knowing what's actually going in your body. It is your healthcare provider's responsibility to know as well that the medications that you've been on for many, many years might affect you differently as you continue to age because the medications might stay the same, but your body does change. And that sometimes can work into different considerations when we think about medication. Also, different behaviors and symptoms may show up Absolutely. as a result of a change in your response to a medication. Very much so. I love geriatrics as a population specialty because this is the only comparison that I'll make between geriatrics and pediatrics. But just as pediatrics are not just little adults, Older adults are not just old adults. We have to treat them in a very different sort of perspective rather than just treating them as a person that's grown older. There are body changes. There are physiology changes. There are all of these different things that you have to consider from a physical, emotional, psychosocial standpoint with all of this. So let's get on to how you can keep yourself as physically fit, for want of a better term. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are the kinds of things that you would recommend to your patients as they age in terms of whether it be aerobic experience or weight training? Just sure. briefly. Sure. The, the general recommendations are a person should be doing some kind of cardiovascular activity. That could be walking, that could be running, that could be anything that gets your heart rate to start beating a little bit more, more than resting, is 20 minutes a day, more days of the week than not. So at least four days a week. And generally speaking, that's not too tall of an order for most people. It's general recommendations are one thing, but what that looks like for you individually can be something different altogether. It doesn't have to be going to a gym and getting on a treadmill. It could be walking outside and walking around your neighborhood. It could be taking your dog for a walk. It could be just going out and enjoying the blue sky in the fall weather. It could be something very simple like that. And in the summer and the warm weather and perhaps some gardening. Absolutely. Things of that sure. nature. How about strength training? They make a big point of saying that as we age, we lose muscle mass. Yes, this is very true. And with that loss of muscle mass, it is easier for bones to break. And it is easier for a person to feel more weak and fatigued did not have the same energy that they've always enjoyed before. The, with that, um, a person should be doing some strength training, and that's what we call resistance training, where a person is using an elastic band or doing a curl with a, with a can of soup or a gallon of milk or something to that effect anyway. Um, that could be every other day. We want the body to have about 24 to 36 hours of rest in between those in between those exercise periods because the nature of that is you have to break down the muscle in order for it to build itself back up stronger and a little bit closer together. So obviously that's an important point that some that it's not like going at it every single day, even if you are so inclined. Very much so. Yes, you can be absolutely motivated with that, but you have to give your body the appropriate chance to rest as well. How about things like balance? Because that's something with, as we get older, falls are a real danger to people sure. because, as you say, bones become more brittle, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So is... Can you, can you train for balance, and is that something that you recommend? You can, and I do, absolutely. Um, balance, actually, I think is a great word for talking about a lot of different aspects of older adult care. Um, but balance is very important, and seeing a physical therapist or working with someone to that effect, uh, to work on those exercises specifically, can offer a person a lot of benefit. How, how important is flexibility? Um, and how can you do something with that? How can you maintain that or, or actually develop it? Balance is a good piece with that as well, actually. 
um, having a healthy balance between muscle mass and stretching and being able to sort of move your limbs and compensate appropriately um, is a huge aspect of balance and a huge aspect of gait training and helping a person walk a bit better, maintain their center of gravity better, and therefore prevent falls. So sometimes you think actually getting a physical therapy exam and having someone to kind of oversee this kind of general physical mm-hmm. fitness is, is a good idea. For With your physical patients. activity as, as well as others, certainly. Having a person that's there to motivate you and guide you and instruct you rather than just going it alone um, can certainly offer a lot of benefit and a lot of perspective for you. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm Linda Cohen along with geriatric nurse practitioner Christopher Norman, and we're talking about how to age well. So let's get on to this kind of psychological or mental sharpness kind of thing. What are the what are the important things that we have to do? Part of which I think is probably staying physically fit, but to basically keep us mentally sharp. Sure. Well, there's this has become a very hot topic as people continue to age, that is the biggest independent risk factor for developing something like Alzheimer's disease, which is a type of dementia. And this is a conversation that I have with people on a daily basis. Um, Luminosity and the different things like that that you see on TV that are advocated to strengthen your brain has received a lot of criticism. And we found in the neuroscience literature that that's actually not as robust of a help to a person's brain in keeping it sharp as maybe they've advertised and really maybe that it's playing on people's fears a bit more and it's more of a marketing piece actually that said it is important to keep your brain sharp and ways that you can do that is that i've found the best in the literature is to help people re-engage in the activities and hobbies that they've always engaged in before, but maybe modifying somewhat. And in addition to that, trying to learn novel and new things, the type of activity that you're trying to do and the way that you go about it, even if you're not successful in learning new, a, a new language, excuse me, even if you're not successful in learning a new language just to... Um, for the sake of doing it, just going through that process and training your brain and going through that practice, that unto its own is keeping your brain holistically a lot stronger and a lot more robust than something like than something like doing a brain game where you're matching a color to a shape or something to that effect anyway. So language alone really has a very powerful, learning a language could really have a very powerful impact. It can, very much. It could, be, it could be juggling, it could be... It, it could be a learning a language. I mean, really anything that might strike your fancy as far as that's concerned. Learning a new instrument, perhaps. Learning a new instrument, most certainly. So the other thing that strikes me that seems very important is this notion of, and you mentioned the social and emotional. Staying socially engaged seems to be a very important measure that people talk about in terms of people aging well mm-hmm. and having a sense of hope, optimism, connectedness, whatever you would however you would describe it. Tell us about that. Well, you've hit on a lot of the points right there, actually. Um, Having a person that's socially engaged um, gets into a very interesting conversation with some people because not everybody is an extrovert. Not everybody feels comfortable in group settings. And there is, so that's a big consideration when trying to consider um, what a person might benefit from the most anyway. There's some interesting literature that would suggest that people that are married for decades and decades and decades and have that and have that person with them that those people might live a bit longer than the person that's gone it alone for most of their life or because of circumstances beyond their control that's the way that their life has turned out anyway and those feelings of those feelings of loss and how people cope with that is another sort of piece with this as well actually 
Um, when we talk about older adults, there's this concept of reserves that we think of. There's not only functional or physical reserve or cognitive reserve, but there's also motivational reserve too, where there's only you, the hits that you take as far as the, the different events that happen in your life anyway, with those hits, you sort of keep on going, but you're a little more depleted, but you're able to sort of keep going because of what you've been able to do. It could come from your occupational history. It could come from how much you feel satisfied with your life and whether or not you've accomplished your purpose. Are you talking about a term I often hear called resilience? Is yes. that kind of what you're talking about? Resilience is a good synonym for all of that, yes. So basically, this idea of being socially engaged, what you're saying is it's not it's not one size fits all, but the fact that people do maintain connections with others can help them feel perhaps more vibrant within as they age. Yes. And the sense of independence, I think, is a big piece with this because threats to independence and a person losing their independence um, is always a big consideration with this. But I think it's important to realize that nobody actually ever lives independently. We all have, we all are dependent in some way on someone. In the little bit of time we have left spiritually, what, sure. what should people do? Well, finding your purpose and finding something that you can believe in, especially in retirement, I think is the biggest piece with um, a person's spiritual coping as they continue to age. When we're in our working years, it's a lot easier to find that because we're even if we're just going through the motions of our day, we're still accomplishing something. We're still accomplishing our what we might feel is our purpose. In retirement, that sometimes gets a bit more fuzzy because a person doesn't have as much structure to their day. But finding that purpose and what you can believe in and what you're going to feel satisfied with at the end of the day, even if it's just accomplishing your housekeeping for the day, or if it's going to someone's wedding, or if it's however you might define it, having that purpose and having something that you can believe in, I think is the most important piece there. Well, I'm going to leave it there. That's really a, a great way to end and a very important concept. This idea of having meaning in life obviously is tied in some ways to a personal purpose. Certainly. So thank you so much. My, my guest has been Christopher Norman. He's a nurse practitioner with Upstate University Geriatricians and obviously very wise in this field. Thanks for joining us, Chris. I'm Linda Cohen and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.